Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We start a brand new week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um Took a couple of days off toward the end of last week, um, and uh, NPR filled in for us on Thanksgiving Day and on the day after. And I hope that all of you out there had a relaxing and maybe more important, meaningful uh, Thanksgiving. I know that uh, for me, and I bet there are a lot of you out there who probably feel as I do, uh, getting away for a few days, kind of taking a deep breath and letting things go, I realized just how eager I am for this runoff election to be over with already. We have another week plus to go until that's the case. But early voting statewide starts today, five days of early voting this time around because of the shortened runoff period of four weeks. Um, But we have numbers about people who have already voted, and we're going to talk about that to start on the show today. So let me introduce the panel and get going. Patricia Murphy, political reporter and columnist. She writes the Political Insider column for the AJC, which you read on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and also oversees the jolt at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is here. Patricia, did you have to work right through the weekend since you're so deeply involved in covering uh, the uh, runoff election? So I got a couple of days off. Um, I was back working yesterday, but um, it is, you know, no rest for the weary. We've got a really important runoff going, and um, a lot of my other colleagues worked even more than I did, so I'm grateful to them for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're joined by Rick Dent, who uh, has become our go-to person throughout this election for keeping us up to speed on what's happening in the ad wars, and uh, we have more news about that. Uh, today as the runoff election unfolds. Rick, thanks for joining us again. Sure. All I know is I'm going to fire whoever booked me to be on the day after a major holiday. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try not to ever do that to you again, Rick. Kendra (laughs) King-Mumman, who is a professor of political science, as you all know, um, and also an associate provost at Oglethorpe University, joins us. Um, Kendra? How are you after the long holiday? I hope you're fine being here this morning. Listen, I said a prayer for my son and his 12 toddlers teachers today, because after four and a half days of being home with a disrupted nap schedule, I'm exhausted but doing well at the same time. I'm happy. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. And last but certainly not least, the Dean of Political Science Professors in the state of Georgia, Charles Bullock at the University of Georgia is here. Chuck, thank you so much for being with us today. I know, Chuck, you are always up for talking about politics. Oh, and always, especially about runoffs. You know, I live and die for runoffs, so this is great. <laughs> yes, yes, you're one of the real experts on runoffs, and we'll probably be tapping into that expertise as the show goes on today. Um, all right, Patricia, there are some interesting numbers that have come out of early voting so far. Let's start with that. Um, We've now seen about 181, close to 182,000 people who have cast ballots 
early. And according to your colleague at the AJC, Mark Nisi, who keeps track of these things, over just this Saturday and Sunday, 157,000 people voted, 70-some thousand on Saturday, 87,000 on Sunday. And of course, it was that Saturday vote that was um, so contentious. Um, the Secretary of State's office tried to stop it. Um, the uh, Warnock campaign went to court to get the Saturday vote put back on the schedule. They won, and then Georgia Republicans, national Republicans, once again tried to stop it, but it went forward, and 70-plus uh, thousand people cast ballots, Patricia. Yeah, the Republicans ended up spending a lot of time and effort and I would say sort of uh, really important media time and messaging time last week appealing this decision to allow Saturday voting to go forward. It's something that Raphael Warnock and the Democrats um, filed suit over to let that single Saturday of early voting happen. Um, once it was decided, we saw three appeals from the state of Georgia to try and stop that, uh, and not just from the state of Georgia, but then from Republican um, committees. And eventually, it really felt like they needed to start focusing on just getting their voters out to the polls on Saturday because these were happening in um, heavily Democratic counties, not exclusively Democratic counties, but as long as there was early voting that looked like it was imminent, uh, we were starting to wonder why Republicans weren't spending more time just messaging to their voters, this is happening, go vote early on Saturday. And so the result was just a huge turnout in these counties. Um, we heard from a number of counties during SB202 during that debate that, especially the smaller ones, just didn't have the staff and volunteers to keep early voting going for a consecutive 48 hours in some cases on the weekends. So it was made optional for those counties. The larger counties do have those resources. And so the Democrats were able to just do an immense amount of messaging ahead of Saturday. I think that even was more publicity for Saturday voting actually for Democrats. And it looks like they were really able to maximize uh, the numbers who turned out that day. Um, and, and we'll talk about those those numbers specifically. But Chuck, I, I thought Mark Nisi uh, had an interesting uh, data point in his story today. Of the counties that had uh, early voting over the weekend, 18 were counties that supported Warnock, that voted for Warnock in the general election, but 16 were Walker uh, counties. So, so there was a significant early voting opportunity for people in those counties that had supported Walker. Yeah, the difference is that the Democratic counties were the big counties, Fulton, DeKalb, Clayton, Cobb, Gwinnett. And those are the counties where if Democrats are going to win statewide, that's where they need to run up the numbers because there are only a couple of dozen, 30 counties maybe in the state that Democrats can win. And where Republicans perhaps miss their opportunity is that the counties where they win up, run up their margins, and this would be Coweta, uh, Cherokee, Forsyth, Hall, and those are not counties that were active. Now, one county that was, which kind of almost falls in that category, is Walton. Democrat, Republicans do real well there. But uh, Republicans uh, are keeping by opposing this, and by the local Republicans not opening those counties, have given Democrats a big early lead. Um, Kendra, um, it, it be, given what uh, uh, Chuck Bullock just told us about the fact that it was the big Democratic counties that had Saturday and Sunday voting, uh, it's probably not surprising that when you look at the breakdown 
uh, demographic breakdown of who cast ballots or has cast ballots so far early. 46% are black voters, 38% are white voters. We rarely, of course, in, in uh, these numbers, see black voters uh, outnumbering uh, white voters. But, but of course, as Chuck points out, uh, some of that comes because it was uh, uh, black counties that, that voted early. It is that. So I, I do agree with Chuck. You know, we have these large metro counties uh, where African-American voters are very popular, uh, populous. Uh, but I also think that the message has been clear uh, since the runoff to get out and vote. Um, I, I was at an event, I won't mention where it was, but it was an event a couple of weeks ago. And from the platform, everyone from the comedian uh, to the person who prayed and for, uh, forth, uh, beyond that, all mentioned that, hey, you've got to get out to and vote, use your influence. I've seen everyday people on social media also saying, hey, young people, whomever, get out to vote. So I, I do think that um, the message is clear. Um, and if you look at the Warnock campaign, even some of the approach they've taken um, for this runoff where he's saying, in effect, I need you. I can't win this without you. We've got to rally around the flag um, in terms of African-American interest and liberal interest in order to secure um, this victory. Um, I think people are rallied and they're aware. So it's going to be, I think, an interesting to see what happens over the next four days. Rick? Yeah, what we have witnessed is a major strategic and tactical mistake by the Republicans. Instead of <laughs> trying to stop people from voting, and for some reason they like to do that, instead of doing that, they needed to focus on Republican areas being open this weekend. Huge mistake. The interesting number, to put it in context, the African-American vote that's out there right now, I think in the general election, early voting, it hovered near the end around 31 or 32 percent. So you can see the gap right now. And I think the exit polls after the election showed that the uh, African-American vote ended up around 28, 29 percent. So you can see now that margin in those two days of early voting. Uh, but again, uh, sometimes the Republicans and the Democrats as well, there's certain issues they just cannot help themselves on, and apparently stopping people from voting is just one of those. Patricia, I thought your column on just this subject was really to the point. Um, last week you wrote that you, your, your lead was Georgia Republicans were so close to a clean getaway in 2022. Not only did they win all but one statewide race handily, they also oversaw mostly smooth elections under Senate Bill 202. Uh, Democratic predictions of mass voter suppression didn't materialize and so forth. But then you point out that the Secretary of State's office and really beyond that, Republicans who fought the Saturday vote, you, you use the word sullied themselves by stopping people from getting to vote. And as Rick points out, that really in the long run hurt them more than it hurt. And it also maybe hurts them in the long run in terms of the image that Republicans are all about making it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. Yes, yes, I wrote that in my column that if we're applying the Republicans' own standard of making it easy to vote and hard to cheat, um, Saturday voting, and, and it's the only Saturday available ahead of the runoff, um, is a very easy argument to say that that's easy to vote and 
no one's saying anything about cheating, just make it easier to vote on that Saturday. And the precedent was really established in the 2021 runoff um, when the Saturday after Christmas was made available as Saturday mm -hmm. voting ahead of that runoff. So there was no um, reason put forth by the people um, within the Republican Party and these Republican committees about why this year of Saturday voting should be different from last year's Saturday voting ahead of those runoffs in almost identical circumstances. And so um, I do think the Republicans have been really asking and demanding credit for how the 2022 elections have gone so far and saying, look, all you people who said this was going to be um, mass voter suppression and Jim Crow 2.0, well, have a look for yourselves. There were no long lines. It was easy for people to vote. It was much harder for people to vote by mail, I have to say. Um, but in person, it, went, it was smooth and easy. The Abrams campaign has argued that um, voting by mail is a huge piece of uh, what they typically use and want to use. So it's hard to prove that negative and, say, and show who couldn't vote by mail. Um, but we didn't hear at the paper, at least, of a lot of people having a majorly hard time. Um, but then fast forward to this situation where um, it's the same group of Republicans, but now they are saying, don't let people vote on Saturday for no apparent reason. And so that was that was where my column was coming from. Yeah, Bill, I voted by mail. I have three degrees. OK, and a printer <laughs> and a laptop. I was not sure I did it right. OK, because I had to take a photograph. I had to upload something. I had to email somebody. I wasn't even sure that the email went to the right person. So after I did all of that with three degrees, I sat there and wondered, am I going to get my absentee ballot in the mail or not? I wasn't sure until it showed up. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think there's any reason to believe we're going to be the legislature is going to be revisiting that, <laughs> that subject. But but uh, we have heard stories like yours, uh, Rick. Um, Kendra, yesterday, uh, Raphael Warnock led a souls to the polls group uh, to his polling place. Uh, it apparently took him about an hour as he stood in line waiting to cast his ballot. And uh, we also we know clearly that that Sunday early voting in African-American communities around churches has been a very important piece of how Democrats uh, hope they can uh, win races. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and I just want to comment real quickly with Patricia and Rick. I only have two degrees and I still was saying make it make sense. Uh, in terms of what was happening over the last several days. Uh, and, and so I think uh, to, to make sense out of all of it, Sunday voting uh, has been a shoo-in for Democratic parties. Uh, when you connect that faith um, motion to it again, the African-American church has been the longest standing independent institution in all of Black America. That's where African-American voice has emerged from. So again, I think Raphael Warnock, he's being strategic. He's using his home base and his roots to galvanize. And when you look at some of the African-American pastors who have supported him, uh, big names such as uh, Jamal uh, Harris Bryant, for example, and a new birth, again, that is a, me a mega church. So when you get those people out to vote, you're gonna see these long lines, but you're, I believe you're seeing momentum Build this week. And so it's going to be, uh, for me, interesting to watch who else comes out to endorse him, who surprisingly stumps for him in the state this week. That's going to be the turnaround, knowing, to Chuck's point, he's going to have to focus on those big Democratic uh, districts in order to pull this off well. Chuck, um, 
Give us a final word on the turnout uh, efforts in the in this final week, and then we'll move on. Yeah, well, what you do, your first uh, goal is to get those people who voted for you in the first round to come back, because you know they're reliable. You've got pretty good records of who they are. Secondly, you try to identify some people who would vote for you had they voted for some reason didn't, and you contact them. But you don't spend much time trying to convert people who voted for the other side. There's simply not enough time to do that. So it's it is a mobilization rather than a conversion game here. You, Chuck, um, uh, were quoted in a piece that the Georgia uh, Recorder published this past week asking the question, they asked the question, the reporter, um, what will happen to the 81-plus thousand uh, people who voted for Chase Oliver, the libertarian? Where will they come down in the runoff? And, and your answer to that question was, and you can describe it more fully, is that those people are iffy in terms of coming back to vote in the runoff. Well, right. I mean, if you're truly a libertarian, and probably maybe a third of them were, and I say a third because only about a third of the total number who voted in the libertarian for the Senate voted libertarian for the governor. But if you're really truly a libertarian, you may not care for either of these two partisans. That other two-thirds may be Republicans who voted a Republican ticket, except they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Herschel Walker for whatever one of the reasons. And for them, you know, they probably aren't going to cross over and vote for Raphael Warnock. You know, they just don't feel good about voting for any Democrat. So I think those people will probably just sit it out. Now, there will be within all this, you know, some set of people who show up for every election. They've got a record going. They're not going to let this record of voting for every election end. And uh, yeah, they will they will show up. the The argument which might have brought them or been more likely to bring them in on, on Walker's side, and that you know, if you think of yourself as a Republican, you better vote for Walker so that the Republicans can win the Senate. That's not working now, clearly, because we know that Democrats have control of the Senate. So that's an, another reason for people who were Republicans but who are conflicted about what to do in November. They can resolve the conflict by just sitting this one out. Patricia, what's happening here in terms of the energy the candidates are putting into the campaigns? Uh, we'll talk about first their uh, uh, being on the stump and in a minute about the advertising. Um, Warnock has been all over the place throughout this runoff period. Um, Walker has not had, held a public event in, it's almost a week since he's held a public event. Now, we assume he's had private fundraisers here and there, um, but it, it strikes me as worth looking at what, what the heck is going on there. Yeah, it's very unusual. And I'm trying to think back to any other campaign that I have covered that has had a week like the one that we've seen from it over the last week, even though there was a holiday, of course. Um, so by my count, Raphael Warnock has had 16 public events in the last week, and Herschel Walker has had two. Um, Herschel Walker was completely off the trail uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and held, and the weekend, by the way, um, and held one event last Monday and one event last Tuesday. Um, compare that to Raphael Warnock, who has had four events, sometimes three events, um, sometimes uh, dropping by to do an unannounced swing by somewhere. Um, it has just really felt extremely lopsided in the last week as we're getting down to this absolute crunch time. And um, I've heard from a number of Republicans who are like, what the heck? Like, 
Where is Herschel Walker? He was also celebrating his mother's 85th birthday. Props to mom. You know, we always want to do that. But it is very, very unusual to not see a candidate um, for five days in a row a week out from a U.S. Senate runoff. All right, Rick. I have said on the show frequently, I am not a political consultant, and I'd make a lousy one if I tried to go into that profession. But I can't help but wanting to speculate here for a moment. Do you imagine, given that you have been a political consultant for a long time, do you imagine there's something that the Walker people see in their internal polling that suggests that they're in fairly solid position already? I mean, they may not know they're going to win it, but that they've got a pretty solid chance to win, and that given his gaff-prone nature, given the fact he doesn't want to answer reporter questions, they somehow they get safer to kind of coast along for the time being? Well, number one, I think I would keep him away from the AJC for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> that's, that's number one. Number two, I'm, I'm kind of torn because traditionally you believe in being in those communities. It takes a lot of time, but voters like to see you on their local television station and they like to look online or in the newspaper and see that you're there because it means maybe you know you count for something but it's 2022 and campaigns are changing and the focus is on raising money and get out the vote and i think he is probably completely safe not showing up in public again until election night. They may be seeing things in their polling, but uh, I don't really believe it's a strategic mistake. Now, insiders like us will sit here and say that it is, and it's odd, and, and old school folks will say, I've never seen anything like that. But it's like yard signs. It's just not as important as it used to be. Kendra, um, Walker, as we've said, is a guy who says sometimes things that are completely baffling, that suggest he doesn't have a grasp of the issues. Um, and so, you know, is there a way in which a lower profile works to his advantage at this point? 100% unequivocally, uh, him saying nothing assures that he'll gain some votes uh, this week. Uh, there's no other way to, to say it. I, I mean, if you look at even when he was um, um, last week on the campaign trail and he, he was he was couched in. Um, it was like an inverse Oreo where basically he had, you know, uh, both of the senators surrounding him. And, and you know, they were they were on edge because no one knew what he was gonna, going to say. And there was a mispronunciation of a word that went viral. Right. But I, I do believe that he is being tactical. His team is being tactical because right now for the Walker campaign, less is more. And I think he understands that. Other people understand it, and someone was joking, saying, maybe he's home in Texas this week, uh, you know, taking care of the lawn or something. <laughs> Chuck, last word before a break, Chuck. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that home in Texas thing is kind of an interesting thing. You inject that since we saw this article over the weekend saying he's still collecting, you know, the, the bit to the homeowners you know, knockoff in your taxes, and you have that only if that's where your primary residence is, so. I remember talking to a reporter with the uh, Austin State's American a while back and said, you know, Herschel Walker still lives in Texas. That's what this person, <laughs> reporter was doing. So, yeah, I guess if he loses, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he continues to consider himself a Georgian. 
Um, yeah, let's make clear exactly what you've just described, Chuck. Um, we saw a report uh, uh, late last week or over the weekend that Walker is claiming a, uh, a homeowner's tax credit uh, for a prime that is only given to people whose primary residence, Patricia, is in Texas. Now, I don't know how much the Warnock campaign can make out of that at this point. Um, it, it, in some ways, because so much of what, I mean, there's so many other things they've thrown at them that don't seem to have registered. Um, but certainly it does um, raise more questions about this whole notion of his being a carpetbagger. Sure. I think, you know, listen, he's lived outside of Georgia for 40 years. And he's been really embraced by a huge swath of voters, um, Republicans. So I think that the homestead exemption, by the way, also Texans do not pay income tax, personal income tax. So there are other tax benefits that could go to Herschel Walker if he decides to never have lived in Georgia for the last year at all. Um, but I don't think that the residency piece is going to lose him any votes that he hasn't lost already. Um, I want to quickly say he should be talking to the AJC, Rick Dent. I completely disagree. Um, and uh, my last point is that if you look at not only has Walker been um, off the trail, if you look at his ads right now, it is Brian Kemp to camera talking about Herschel Walker, his male pieces from 34 and 22, the super PAC supporting him, are of Brian Kemp talking about Herschel Walker. I haven't seen Herschel Walker's face on a TV ad in the last week either. So it's not just on the trail. It's really anywhere you look, this campaign is about Raphael Warnock and Brian Kemp and not about Herschel Walker. Um, well, uh, let me say, I'm sure, of course. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, I want to really ask Rick a question, and that is this effort now for Brian Kemp to kind of transfer his popularity to Herschel Walker, but Brian's not on the ballot, so there's no coattails here. Uh, Rick, All right, your Rick. Speech, can that be done? Can you transfer as, as Kemp is trying to do? You know, we don't usually have teasers going into the next segment of a show, but that's a great one. We have to get to a break right now. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Oglethorpe University's Kendra King-Mammon, University of Georgia's Charles Bullock, Patricia Murphy of the AJC, and political ad expert Rick Dent, who's also vice president at Matrix uh, Communications, join us today. Well, Rick, uh, Chuck Bullock asked you an important question leading into the break. We now see Brian Kemp has got a very high profile in trying to get um, uh, uh, Walker across the finish line. What kind of coattails? does Governor Kemp really have in a situation like this, given that he's already uh, been off, he's off the ballot at this point, and whatever power he had to help get Republicans in the general election over the line, is that still uh, workable in a runoff? Well, you know, 
all of a sudden I feel like I'm in the classroom and the professor has called on me and I didn't read the assignment. <laughs> so, so, so thanks for that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of cynical here. Yes, it, well, number one, it does help. It does help that the most popular Republican in the state is now with you and beside you. And Brian Kemp just ran, I believe, the best gubernatorial campaign I have ever seen. And I worked on one with James Carville and Paul Begala. But the cynical part of me says, this is not Brian Kemp helping Herschel Walker. This is Brian Kemp helping Brian Kemp because he's helping Senate, Senator McConnell. He's helping the Senate leadership pack. He's helping every major donor in the National Republican Party. Because if Herschel wins, Brian Kemp will get a lot of credit. If Herschel loses, Brian Kemp gets to go back in a year or two years to the uh, Senate PAC and McConnell and say, you know what? I stuck my neck out. I helped you when you needed it. Now I need your help. What does he need their help for? He is in one of the largest states in America. It's important electorally. He is term limited. He lives in a state that helps decide the U.S. Senate year in and year out. He's popular. He could be in the cabinet. He could be a U.S. Senate contender. He could even be considered for a presidential ticket. And so in all of those scenarios, it's very important to have big donors and important people with you who owe you something. You know, Kendra, I, I'm, I'm interested. I will, I'm going to put off just for a moment talking about Brian Kemp's future because there is a story in the news that points to that uh, that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but uh, it is certainly true that Kemp ran about as good a campaign as you possibly could. What Rick Dent was talking about uh, with uh, uh, Begala and Carville was the, the Zell Miller campaign in 92, and that, or 1990, and that was a brilliant campaign. Um, but the, I, I still go back to this question of whether voters who didn't vote for Herschel Walker, but did vote for Brian Kemp, are going to suddenly jump up and vote for Herschel this time around? I think, you know, it, it's, it's up in the air, but I do believe you're going to have some of that spillover effect. Um, again, if you, if you look at these ads that, that Brian Kemp has um, participated in supporting Herschel Walker, um, the language is that of a team. We are a team. We are a unit. So I, I do believe you're going to have some of that. Why? Kemp is a keeper. So if I'm, if I'm in alignment with Kemp, I, I will, in some respects, as opposed to wasting a vote, which would be a Warnock win, I will in some instances perhaps align my support with, with Kemp, a.k.a. Uh, Walker, that way. So I, I do believe we're going to see some of that. Chuck? Yeah, I, I guess I disagree somewhat here. I think that a uh, voter who wouldn't vote for Herschel Walker back in November, had, and it was a Republican who wouldn't vote for him, had done some soul-searching and uh, just simply decided they couldn't go with their, their party leanings, no matter how strong they were. 
And certainly that's something that we're seeing being pushed in the Warnock ads as individuals coming forward and saying, yeah, I, I'm experiencing maybe the same thing you did out there, voter on television land. I also had a think hard long about this, and I couldn't bring myself to vote for Walker. But I think that these people, uh, again, they may not come back to the polls. But, uh, and that's how they revolve that kind of conflict they may experience. Patricia, sum us up on this yeah. subject. Yeah, so there's just a hugely important bucket of 200,000 voters who voted for Brian Kemp and did not vote for Herschel Walker. And that's why Herschel Walker is not in the U.S. Senate right now. Um, and uh, certainly both campaigns, but really the Warnock campaign, I agree with Dr. Bullock, are messaging very hard at those voters. And the Democratic Party of Georgia did something I've never seen. Um, after the general election, they had a press conference with Brian Kemp voters talking about how much they trust the governor and why they voted for Raphael Warnock. And so I think Warnock also has a very high bar, um, a, ch a real challenge to get somebody who is a Brian Kemp voter to get up and go back to the polls, somebody who voted all the way down the Republican ticket and also voted for Raphael Warnock because they were there and didn't want to vote for Herschel Walker. How do you get those people back out to the polls to vote for a Democratic senator in the Democratic Senate? I think that's a challenge as well. So I think both of these campaigns have new obstacles in front of them, given the universe of voters that turned up the last time around. Uh, Rick, uh, as always, you've kept us up to speed on spending and on the current ads that are out there. Um, once again, uh, the Warnock campaign is vastly outraised. Uh, the Walker campaign, and they're much more, uh, and their TV schedule is uh, much more aggressive. They've got a lot more TV spots on. But you also point out that um, they're, they've spent a lot of money, like 40 million bucks, on digital ads as well. <laughs> uh, that's right. We're, we're looking at $40 million. Um, you know, when we talk about these numbers, it's always, you know, TV and and then you'll hear, like, Professor Bullock say, well, you know, no one watches those TV ads anymore, and young people certainly don't watch television, and how you're reaching them. And they're spending $40 million on digital. When, when And you've heard me say this time and time again, when 15, 20 years ago, no one spent $40 million on anything. And one of the interesting things that we've picked up on in the, in the last week, Warnock has so much money now, he is running digital ads in Korean, uh, Chinese, Vietnamese, and then, of course, Spanish. And uh, when was the last time that happened in the state of Georgia? Right. Well, let, let's, let's take that up for just a moment. Kendra, that to me, when I saw Rick, Rick sent that out to us all in a note, of course. And I, that is fascinating to me because it speaks to the fact that Georgia is an going to be a diverse, more and more diverse state moving forward. And um, even though those percentages are so small, uh, the Warnock people realize they're worth paying attention to. And that's going to become the case more and more in the years to come. Absolutely. Again, you know, Georgia, but 
Atlanta metro in particular is an international city. We see that Gwinnett County is one of the most diverse counties, uh, not just in the state of Georgia, but in the U.S. So again, when you when you speak uh, to these communities of people, it's substantive politics at its best, but it's also pulling into that, that symbolism. If I see myself in you, then I'm more apt to vote for you. I think this, um, and this, this takes me back just a moment to what I was saying a minute ago, uh, talk is cheap. And I think when you look at our state, um, some of those ads for me felt like they were actors when people were saying, hey, I voted for, for Governor Kemp, but I, I couldn't vote for Walker. So I'm, I'm voting for War Warnock. A couple of them, I was like, hey, are these paid actors right now? Because I think at the end of the day, when we look at the exit polls in our state, more often than not, because of the racial dynamics and even some of the gender dynamics that we've seen both of these candidates flip-flop on and not handle well, I still think that we're going to see a potential upset and Walker could pull this off because what I say in public is different than what I do privately with my voting ballot. Um, yeah, I don't think any of us on this panel or any of the panels think that somehow Raphael Warnock is a sure bet to win this Correct. race. Uh, and for many reasons, Walker, and I hear this, Patricia, from people that uh, talk to me from other states, whether it's being on a cable news show or whatever, people who just imagine that Warnock has this thing in the bag because how could Herschel Walker be a set? They don't, they don't understand the dynamic here, Patricia. And I'll bet you've heard it in some of your appearances as well. Yes, you know, especially going into the general election, I have a lot of friends from D.C. reaching out saying, uh, Warnock's going to win without a runoff, right? I'm like, you've got to be kidding and that's not what's happening down here. That This was a tied race for months and months and months and months. And not a lot has changed to change that dynamic of it being essentially tied between these two gentlemen. Um, it really is, as Dr. Bullock said, just coming straight down to mobilization. How many bodies can you get back out to the polls? especially the ones who have already voted. Um, it is really hard to do. There is no muscle memory in Georgia for a December runoff. And so they are really going to have to educate, um, uh, motivate, and then mobilize these voters. And uh, we see why they need millions of dollars to do it, because you know people are just getting off of their Thanksgiving holidays as well. So it's a heavy lift. Um, and it was tied going in. It's probably tied right now. And we'll see who gets their people out. All right, uh, let's get to our final break of the show. I do want to play just two examples of commercials that are on the air right now and give the panel a chance to talk about what they see those commercials uh, having value in accomplishing. We'll do that in a moment. I don't have to tell all of you out there that there are a lot of political ads on the air right now. You already know that. There are lots we could have pulled from here. But I wanted to play two in particular, one a Walker and another a Warnock, uh, and ask the panel to comment on them. Let's, I'm going to uh, ask you to listen first to a, the audio of a spot with that uh, the Walker campaign has up and running. In the, in the commercial, we see him sitting side by side with a female uh, athlete. And it is an example of the way in which the Walker campaign has tried over and over again to use cultural hot button issues to uh, attract voters. Let's listen. I'm Riley Gaines, a 12-time NCAA All-American. And I'm Herschel Walker. For more than a decade, I worked so hard, 4 a.m. practices to be the best. 
But my senior year, I was forced to compete against a biological male. That's unfair and wrong. A man won the swimming title that belonged to a woman, and Senator Warnock voted to let it happen. Warnock's afraid to stand up for female athletes. Herschel Walker stands up for what's right. All right, I'll just ask the general question. Patricia, what does that ad say to you? So it says that this is the space where Walker's polling is telling him uh, he'll get a really strong reaction from very conservative voters and um, possibly from parents in exurban counties that he really needs to get out to the polls um, and maybe even some parents in suburban counties that he needs to get out to the polls. This uh, swimmer, Riley Gaines, is somebody who has uh, won a ton of notoriety on Fox News and she's been campaigning with Herschel Walker as well. This is at his events, one of the very biggest applause lines. And it kind of reminds me of Donald Trump. He tests these messages out to see kind of what gets the biggest reaction and without, almost without comparison, when he starts talking about transgender athletes and sports and promising to um, prevent it in the future and using kind of really uh, catchy and some would say offensive language to do that, um, he just gets a huge, huge applause. So it works with his audience. And I think that's uh, uh, shown in these ads as well. They believe it's gonna work with their voters. Um, I, Chuck, is it fair to say that, yes, it's specifically about transgender athletes and whether it's fair for them to compete, uh, it, but in the, in the larger sense, it's also about Republican attacks on, on many things having to do with transgender community? Well, it's even maybe broader than that. And what it speaks to is that you're living in a world that's changing, and it's changing in ways that you don't like, and it's not the world you grew up in. And so if you want to try to maintain the status quo, even turn the clock back to a happier time in your life or whatever, you're not going to vote for a candidate who is not standing there with you and Herschel Walker is with you on this very visible issue. Kendra and Rick, let's have have you weigh in. Yeah, it almost kind of crosses a a modern good old boys commercial. Um, You you have this African-American male who's attacking um, another uh, group of people, um, and he's saying, hey, I'm one of you all. I I want to to go back to the nostalgia of how things used to be. Uh, Herschel Walker was also on Fox News a week ago saying anybody that wants to change America, maybe we should restrict their right to vote. So this is one of many um, uh, talking points that he's he's used to 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 galvanize, I think, his bread and butter voters. Yeah, you know, part of it, as Chuck was saying, it is much broader. It is basically a message that says the Democrats have lost their mind. They are completely out of touch with the average Georgian. And to prove it, look at this. They think men should compete against women. And common sense, folks, common sense. And if you want that in Washington, vote for Herschel Walker. If you believe in this kind of crap, that's their messaging, then you, you have your candidate, and that's Senator Warnock. Um, all right, let's flip it. Let's listen to an ad that the Warnock people have on the air right now, one of many. Um, we've, we've seen countless commercials that attack Walker over his treatment of women over the years, violent behavior toward women. Um, Rick, I'm going to play the audio of it and then turn to you first. But there was something about this ad that makes the 
violence more explicit um, than some of the other ads I've, I've heard. It's, for some reason, for me, it's a little bit more chilling. Let's play it and we'll talk about it. Decades of violence against women. Guns, razor blades, choking. Now, an ex-girlfriend says Herschel Walker used the threat of violence to force her to have an abortion. He said, I would not be safe and that the child would not be safe. It is very menacing. It is very menacing. And I felt threatened and I thought I had no choice. First of all, Rick, we've seen that woman before. This isn't the first time. Uh, I think she's the second woman who came forward to say that Herschel Walker had forced her to have an abortion. But the Walker campaign believes that this kind of messaging still has an impact in the runoff. Number one, it's just painful to listen to, much less see it. And we just listen to it, just the audio. The, The other thing, it very cleverly combines paying abortions with the domestic attack. So now you've, you've taken both and you've merged them. He threatened me and my baby if I didn't go have the abortion. So they merged that. But the most important point about that very aggressive ad, and you've heard me say this before, it's running because Warnock has to run it. When you choose to run negative campaigns, You don't do it just because you want to. Because when you run a negative ad, yes, it hurts your opponent, but it also hurts you. People think less of you as well. You hope your negative ad will knock your opponent down lower, but there's that that risk. It's always going to hurt you as well. The fact with all the advantages that Senator Warnock has, twice as much money, all the negatives on Herschel Walker, and he's having to run this kind of ad a week before the election tells you how close it is, tells you how split this state is, and tells you how how close Herschel Walker is to being elected U.S. Senator from the state of Georgia. Patricia? Yeah, I think that the Warnock campaign knows that there's this risk of equivalence of voters throwing up their hands and saying, these are just two horrible people, um, because there is a risk and a damage to Rafael Warnock, who ran an almost entirely positive campaign the last time around, and people kind of loved him for it. Um, that's not happening this time around, because it is so close. Um, along with these negative attack ads, really negative attack ads, um, in the last week, we've seen, I've seen a half dozen different positive spots from the Warnock campaign, particularly on Thanksgiving Day. We've got the puppy is back, Alvin is back. Um, also, on Thanksgiving Day, there were two separate ads of Warnock wishing people happy Thanksgiving, a separate ad quoting the prophet Jeremiah and sort of casting, recasting himself as that pastor that people can trust, who has a positive message for himself and for the state. And so they are plowing millions of dollars into Metro Atlanta TV ads. I was on the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, all the expensive stuff. So you can tell that they know they've got to balance these messages together. Uh, you know, Kendra, what I keep thinking about is the fact that there are so much ammunition that's been used against Herschel Walker. And as Rick points out, they got to keep at it 
because uh, so far it hasn't really, it, it, it certainly hasn't improved Raphael Warnock's standings. It hasn't put him uh, over the 50% plus one that he needed in the general election. Um, I guess the point being, though, that these are ads that they hope will compel women, particularly suburban women, to get to the polls and vote against him. Yeah, I, I do think that's a strategy, um, but it almost feels a little too late. And again, the emotion uh, that these these ads solicit, uh, male, female, young, old, I think um, that's a snowball. It's a slope um, that that's very slippery for the Warnock campaign this close uh, to this election. Um, and so it may motivate some people, but I think it's going to be a trauma trigger. That's what I've heard, that for some women, when they hear these ad campaigns, it triggers the trauma of, of a lived experience in them. And, and again, while he's a trusted pastor and he's respected, if he's having to use this type of tactic to get people out to vote, I don't know if it benefits him this late in the game. Chuck Bullock. Yeah, there's one notion that uh, negative advertising, what it does is it actually depresses turnout. And so, you know, what maybe this does is it causes some individuals who are thinking about voting for, Warren, for Walker and they see this and say, yeah, I, I, that, I, I can't go through with it. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm not going to go vote for her, for Raphael Warnock, but I'm, I'm not going to show up and vote for Herschel Walker either. All right. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, and we have talked about this on the show a couple times, but I would love to get the panel engaged just for a couple of minutes here. Patricia, the, uh, the issue of uh, Georgia's fetal heartbeat law is back uh, in the courts. Um, we know that uh, Robert McBurney uh, said the law was unconstitutional for a matter of days. There were abortion clinics here that were able to bring in clients that felt they needed to have an abortion. And the state Supreme Court in the middle of last week said, no, we're going to block uh, abortions. The law is in effect until it can be heard. The, the big question is, does this really have an impact on people as they make their choices or decide whether they are or not going to the polls? Well, I think it could be another motivating factor for Democratic voters. Um, it's an issue that is um, every time it comes back into the headlines, reminds voters that there is a six-week abortion ban here in the state. Um, it did not have the effect in the general election that I really expected it to have. Brian Kemp signed a six-week abortion bill and won by eight points um, and got a lot of Democratic votes in the process. So it did not have that effect. I think it could have a marginal turnout effect for Democrats, just to remind them this is on the ballot. I want to go support Democrats because I'm bothered by it. Uh, just very, very quickly, uh, Rick, it, it's an emotional issue more than it is practical in the sense that um, the U.S. Senate is in the hands of Democrats, regardless of who wins this race. And so it isn't as if uh, whoever is elected to this seat is going to have an impact on national abortion law, at least not in the next term. That's right. Patricia, Patricia is right. If you want a proof point, every statewide Democrat lost in the general election, except for Senator Warnock. And I would say this, if the Republicans had nominated almost anybody else but Herschel Walker, I think Senator Warnock would have lost too. Wow. All right, Rick Dent, you get the last word on today's Political Rewind. Rick, uh, Charles Bullock, Kendra King-Mauman, and, of course, Patricia Murphy. 
Thank you so much for getting us started again. At least for me, you have swept away the Thanksgiving holiday cobwebs, and I'm feeling energized all over again about this final week of the runoff. So thank you all for helping do that and for having such a smart conversation today on Political Rewind. We're back again with a brand new show tomorrow and hope you'll join us. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy, everybody. Bye-bye.